We're in this series, The God We Can Know, talking about the I Am uh, statements that Jesus gives to us in John's Gospel. Just reminding you of that we started out by the God uh, who comes as the great I Am, the God that sort of reveals himself but doesn't reveal himself totally to Moses, gives us an aspect of who he is because we can never truly fully know all of who God is uh, in this life. And then Jesus shows us that I am the bread of life and I'm the one that can nourish you fully. I'm the one that can heal your soul with, with the bread and the food that I am. And then we talked about how I am the light of the world and I guide you and direct you and help you each day of your life marching forward. And then uh, we talked about him being the vine and we are the branches. And as we stay close to him, then we can produce great fruit. And now today, we hear these words from Jesus as found in the 15th chapter of John's gospel. Let us, or the 14th chapter of John's gospel. Let us turn and hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. For not so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you'll know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know what direction you're going? You know what direction you're going? Do you know the way? I think about that, and I think about my dad who could get lost on a straight road. One time, we were coming back from California where I was stationed. We took the red-eye flight, and we landed in New Orleans, and we got picked up by my parents early in the morning, and we were naturally tired. And it, listen, it is a straight shot from New Orleans uh, to Mobile to Fort Walton Beach. I mean, it's a straight shot on I-10. When we woke up, we were in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, well north of there. I said, Dad, how did you do this? And he, oh, no. We, we went every year to my aunt's house in Richmond, Virginia, every year. Every year, we went there. We'd get off on the same exit, and Dad would make the same wrong turn every year, even though my mom was saying, Charles, don't go that direction. Off he'd go. We'd stop at the same gas station to ask directions. And he'd get lost still then. It was awful, awful. We, you know, when we think about which way are we going, do, do we know the way? Which direction are you heading? You know, the disciples were asking that question. Here they were at this last supper with Jesus, and Jesus is starting to talk all this stuff about him departing and no longer being with them, and that he was leaving. And, and Peter asked, the chapter prior to this is, Lord, where are you going? And then Thomas asked, how do we go this way? Which way do we go? And you got to understand, when Jesus is talking about all these things, and, and he's revealing to him that, that he's going to die. You know, they're wondering to themselves, am I following the right way? 
Am I going the right direction? You see, in, in John chapter 6, there's a bunch of people that are following after Jesus, and Jesus starts this hard teaching, and all fall away except these 12, and really there's only 11 because we know what Judas Iscariot's about to do. So they're asking themselves, am I going the right way? Am I going the right direction? And you got to understand when this gospel was written and, and when it started to spread around, it was a time of great persecution. The, the Jewish Christians, we are told, were being thrown out of the synagogues. They were being cast out just as Jesus said they would be. This place where they learned about the faith, where they had community, they were being thrown out of. And then there's a Roman persecution. Nero, in 64, threw all the Christians out of Rome, and he lit the way to Rome on the Appian Way with Christians covered in tar, hanging on crosses, and lit on fire. And then, as John's gospel became popular there in the late part of the first century, the worst persecution to date came about Domitian. The Roman emperor declared himself, I am Lord and God. And unless you worship me, you will pay the price. And so Christians, because they followed after Jesus and would bow down to no other Lord except Jesus, well, they were maimed and exiled and beaten and killed. And you have to know that some of them were asking the question, is this the right way? Is this following Jesus going to lead me anywhere? Now, I doubt anybody within the sound of my voice, maybe someone watching online in a foreign country, is going to be martyred for their faith. Who knows? Things may change drastically, but I doubt anyone in this room will be. But there may be someone in the room like my friend David who quit his job because of his Christian faith. They were starting to do things that went against his beliefs. And he said, I can no longer stay here. So he quit. That's a hard decision. Think about that. He gave up his livelihood because of his faith. Some of you all may have had to do that. Some of you all may have faced some abuse because you stood up for the little guy. There's some injustice happening. You spoke out and people started to well, shun you and, and, and maybe started speaking badly about you. That, that may have been, been you. Or you may have said, you know, I really would like to go on this vacation, but I know that if I do that, I can't give as generously to the cause of Christ to the church. And so you forego a vacation or don't live as high on the hog because you say to yourself, you know, I want to make sure that the Lord knows I'm grateful. Or you may be somebody who's been called to do a difficult task. You know, something within the life of the church is hard. Some of the things that people do in the church are difficult, and, and other people won't step up. Or you may have been called to go on that mission trip that sounds kind of scary to go on, and you wonder through all the stuff that you dealt with at the end of the day, was it worth it? Or you may be the person something terrible's happened to. Some suffering, some tragedy, some loss, some grief. And it's so tempting to give up in belief on a God that is good and that cares for you. And you wonder at the end of the day, is it worth it to hang on to such belief? And Jesus says to the disciples of old and to the skeptics and the sinners and the saints here and now, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my 
father's house. Oh, there's a mansion. It's waiting for you. You see, he's saying, hold on. Keep going. There's something worthwhile at the end of the day. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians puts it this way. No eye has seen, no ears heard, no, heard, no mind can conceive of the things that God has in store for those who love him. We're just finishing up Revelation in our disciple Bible study, and they're all saying, woohoo, we're about done, yay. And in the 21st chapter, we read these wonderful words. He'll wipe away every tear. Pain and mourning and death will be no more. Behold, I make all things new. Wow. Wonderful news, isn't it, to hear those things? Think of it this way. Imagine a little boy goes out to play. You know, it's hard to imagine that in this day and time. We program our kids so much. But imagine the boy goes out to play, and he gets to go out there, and he's uh, climbing on the trees with his friends, and they uh, play ball a little bit and skip some rocks. And, well, as happens sometimes when boys get together, they decide to play king in the hill, and they start to roughhouse and start to tussle all around. And and in the midst of all that scrapping and, and tussling and, and fighting, the, the little boy ends up on the bottom of the pile of the mass of boys, and he begins to panic because he can't breathe, and he starts to struggle and fight and claw and hit, and, and he starts to cry, and he finally, after, after much struggle, he wiggles out of all of that with scrapes all over his face and his shirt kind of torn, and, and, and he was kind of scared, and so he just runs off back home with tears in his eyes. And there, opening up the door for him is his dad. And his dad can tell he's been through a tough time, and he, and he sees his little boy, and he picks him up in his arms, and he wipes away the tear and musses his hair a little bit. And the boy explains what happens, and his father grabs him and says, that's okay. And he takes him to his room, and he washes him up a little bit. He changes his shirt, and they go, and there's supper waiting for them, a joyful meal together. See, the boy has come home, and all is well. Well, That's the way it is with us, y'all. We go out into the playground of life, and we play, and we tussle, and we wrestle, and fuss. And at the end of the day, if we know the way, we come home. And there are Heavenly Fathers waiting for us to welcome us, to hug us, to wipe away the tears, put us in a brand new clothes, and say, enjoy the feast I've prepared for you from the beginning of time. Jesus said, I, I have a mansion for you. We don't talk about that stuff much anymore, do we, though? You know, we get so caught up in the things of this earth, and we get caught up in the, the things of this world that we, we, we miss out sometimes on what's waiting for us. We don't sing those old songs like we sometimes used to in some churches. You know the songs, you know, the unclouded day, I long for a place where the skies so far, are so far, I long for the place where there's no an unclouded day, or the sweet by and by, we'll meet on that beautiful shore, the song I'm thinking about right now. I've got a mansion, you all know it, just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. 
you know, we don't sing those songs as much as we used to because maybe we're so focused on the, this earth. C.S. Lewis said two things. One, the Lord permits struggles in our lives so that we'll remember that this place is not a true home. But then he also said this. He said, if you aim for heaven, you get earth thrown in, but if you aim for earth, you lose them both. And what he means by that is that as we focus our minds on what is awaiting us and on heaven, God ought naturally cast our eyes on the things of the, this earth that he wants us to pay attention to so that we do his work to make more of this earth like heaven. And thus we gain heaven here on earth and in the world beyond. So we always got to remember in the struggles of life that there's something better waiting for us. I go to prepare a place for you. It's something to remember right now. Then Thomas asked, well, how do we get to that place? Well, tell us about this, Jesus. And Jesus then said, I am the way. I am the way. You know, I wish my dad had just let that gas station attendant hop in the car and ride with us so we wouldn't have got lost again on that trek. You know, in this day of GPS, I know we don't think about things like that, but even around, around here, y'all, I found GPS doesn't work too well in, the, in, these, in these mountains. I've ended up in a holler I didn't think I should have been in, you know? Yeah, we need somebody to go with us, don't we? When, when I was in a little town of Bruton, Alabama, we went on a, a mission trip to New York City, actually to Brooklyn. You know, it was kind of funny seeing these rednecks from, from South Alabama going up to Brooklyn. And you'll be proud of UMCR, y'all, United Methodist Committee on Relief, the same group that's helping out in Ukraine. They had things so organized. We did such wonderful work helping uh, after uh, Superstorm Sandy hit that region. We repaired so, several houses. But you know, when you're in New York City, particularly those folks, had, had, some of them hadn't been north of the Alabama state line, they wanted to see some stuff. So we went touring around, and the way to get around in New York is, you know, how subways. And you think getting around here without a GPS is rough. Think about going around New York City in a subway with that pack of rednecks that I was with. And, and so we went to the subway station, and there they're scratching the head, looking at the maps. I couldn't figure things out. And despite the reputation, the people in New York were very helpful, maybe even too helpful to us. They came up there and said, you'll need to know where to go. Said, yeah, how do we get to this place over in Manhattan? Well, you ought to try this one. And another guy came up, no, no, what you talking about? You need to have them take this line. And they would get in an argument about helping us. It was funny. We finally got on the subway, and we're riding along, and, and people were amazed because, well... In New York, gentlemen don't stand up for giving a lady a chair in the subway. And here these ladies came in, all these guys are hopping up, and, and they're looking at us like, what are you trying to do? But anyways, we were still wondering what stop to get off on. We were still a little bit confused. And this lady just started to laugh, and she says, hey, listen, I'll ride with you to your destination. I've got some extra time. And we said, well, you can't do that. She said, no, really, really. It, it, it'll be my pleasure. I love to hear the way you talk. <laughs> and she also said, you know, I've never been with a group of guys that stood up for ladies to let them have their seats. So I'll, it'll be my pleasure. So she rode with us to our final 
destination somewhere in Manhattan. Well, that's what Jesus says. He says, I'm going to go with you and be with you all the way home. All the way home. Jesus said this. Later on in this discourse that we're reading through, he says, I'm going to send the advocate. I'm going to send my spirit, and he's going to lead you all the way you need to go. His very presence, Jesus' presence in our lives leads us to that final destination. No other faith can make that claim. Our Hindu friends, they have the Bhagavad Gita and the Upanishads, which teach them the direction of life. Our Muslim friends have the five pillars of faith. Our Buddhist have, friends have the eightfold noble path. Our nearest relatives in faith, they have the law, the, our Jewish friends, and they follow after that, that to lead the way to righteousness. What do we have as Christians that lead us? Jesus. Jesus said, I will come in the presence of my spirit, and I am the way that leads to life. When I was at the Cantor School of Theology at Emory University, you know, we were there with lots of students from around the world, and there was a, a Korean student, and he was sharing his, his faith story, and he, he said, you know, I was in a low place in my life. He said, I felt like I was in a deep well, and one night I had a dream, he said. He said, in that dream, I, I dreamed that Confucius came to me in that dark well, and he said, Son, if you had listened to my teachings, you would not be in this place. So when you get out of this well, follow after my path and you will be okay. And then in the dream, uh, and at the time he was a, a Buddhist, because most of Korea at the time was a Buddhist nation, he, he dreamed the Buddha came to him and said, my son, fold your arms and close your eyes. Learn the way of detachment and you will end up in nirvana there in that well. And he said, but I want to be out of this well. And he said, finally, he had a dream that Jesus came down into the depths of that well and that despair where he was. And Jesus let him out with his very presence and gave him life. And this Korean man said, it was Jesus that led me. It's Jesus that came into the pits of my despair and the sadness and the turmoil of my life. And he led me out. No other faith, he said, could make that claim. For you see, Jesus de descends down to where we are. God condescended to be here with us. Uh, Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus gave up his right to be God, taking on our form, taking on the form of a slave, the lowest of the low, to lead us upward. For you see, Jesus came and is our way to life. Y'all, I think you're aware of it, but today's Palm Sunday. Have y'all figured that out yet? Yeah, today, today's Palm Sunday. And as Jesus, as Jesus announced, Jeff, you are Jesus-like in a lot of ways. But yes, as Jeff, as Jeff announced, <laughs> this is Holy Week. This is Holy Week. It's a week where we started out today proclaiming Jesus as king. The whole world was celebrating him. It was a joyous celebration. And then as we, as we look through Holy Week, we see how things 
quickly change. You know, Jesus is there with his friends. They're there celebrating. He's there teaching in the temple, and people are proclaiming how what a wonderful man he is and how quickly things change as Jesus is portrayed. He suffers. He's beaten. He dies. Just like happens in our life. You see, y'all, Holy Week is in microcosm our lives. We see in this week of Jesus' life things that happen in our lives. There is the triumphal entry of us as we were born. We grow and we, we get to experience the celebrations and, and much joy and happiness and fulfillment. And then we see how life can betray us. Oh, yeah, life's good, but we know things in life will betray us. There'll be tragedy. There'll be heartache. There'll be disease. Our bodies will begin to grow old, and our health betrays us. And yet, we know because of Jesus, we've had someone that walks the highway with us, who climbed off that donkey and walked the way of suffering so that we have someone who suffers with us. That's what Holy Week is. It's the holy drama that represents the drama of your life and mine. So that's why it's important that you come to all the worship offerings. Because so many of us will come to Palm Sunday and wave, and then when next week we'll come, something special happens next week, and we're going to celebrate But we miss the drama. We miss Jesus going to the depths of human suffering. So that what happens next week is truly joyous. So I encourage you to come to the worship services that Jesus, uh, a.k.a. Jeff, (laughs) announced. Come, be a part of those. Come, walk the journey of the cross as you see represented here. And this week, take some time to read the passion narrative of Jesus. You know, start out with the Palm Sunday, and then, and then read up through the crucifixion in all the Gospels. Take time this week, and a lot of you all doing some great studies that Laura Paget's providing for with us. Do those, but take some time, read the latter chapters of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and see all Jesus did and endured and went through for you and me. Now, now there's one more thing. I know this question comes up. No one comes to the Father but by me. I know I'm teaching confirmation tonight. I know they've asked that question. What's this about? Now, what is that about? In our pluralistic age, when we have all these different religions that are not just in Africa and Asia and all over the world, that you know, they're, they're right here, you know? On the street not too far away from me, there's a sign that says the street's sponsored by, by the Baha'is, you know? Uh, that, that used to didn't happen, right? So in this pluralistic age, what's, what's this all about? Well, the missionary T.D. Niles, in his writings, really helps me with understanding this. T.D. Niles was a missionary for a long, long time in Sri Lanka, which is off the coast of India. Not many Christians in 
that place. And, but he went there to show the way of Jesus to these people. And through his time there, he began to understand the key phrase that Jesus is emphasizing here is, no one comes to the Father but by me. The key word there is Father. See, all these other faiths, when they talk about the divine, when they're talking about God, they're going to talk about the great other or the unmoved mover or they're going to talk about the creator or the king or the ruler. But what Jesus does is introduces us to this concept of the divine being our father. And the word that Jesus used more often than not when he is talking about this father in the gospels is this. He uses the word Abba, which in the Aramaic means daddy. He's revealing to us this God who comes to us intimately like this daddy that I talked about earlier in this message who welcomes us into the kingdom that we can experience in the here and the now. So what about those folks of other faiths? Or what about those people that have never heard of Jesus? What about the folks that live in a society and in a culture where that if they follow after Christianity, they'll be ostracized or killed? Or what about the folks that live in a place or been to a place or seen how the church has acted so unchristlike that they say, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't want any part of that. What about those folk? Well, T.D. Niles says, well, that's where this concept of God, the loving Father, comes in. For God, the loving Father, knows the hearts of these people. And he sees who they are really trying to be, as ignorant as they may be of what it means to be a Christian. And their way is found through that. Romans 1 bears this out where Paul talks about, you know, people will be judged by God by what knowledge they have of God. Now, you might ask yourself, well, why in the world go on evangelizing? Why send all those missionaries out all, all over the place? Because people, we want folks to know Jesus. We want folks to know about this one who unconditionally loves us, who came down to earth to, to give us life that's abundant and eternal. We want to know about this. We want people to know about this Jesus who shows us that we have this loving Father and that his way is the way that leads to a confident life now, that leads to life eternal in heaven. Yes, there's more to salvation than just what happens after this life. It's about knowing the joy of knowing Jesus now. So some of y'all, maybe, are going to be called like T.D. Niles and sent to some faraway place to share about Jesus. But more than likely, and you know, everyone's getting a little nervous, no, more than likely, you're going to be asked to go talk to a person across the street, around the corner, where you work. Because there are many people in this ever more increasingly secular age where, to be honest with you, the church, I'm not talking about Boone United Methodist, but the church has blown it in showing the love of Christ to the world in our day and time and inviting people to discover the life of Christ. So maybe one of the things you should be praying about is, Lord, who do I need to introduce to you? Who do I need to share your love with? 
Who do I need to let people know that you love them? That ain't a bad prayer. Particularly when we think about what's happening next week. And someone might be hoping to come to hear the Easter message. I'm going to close with a story. You know, when we talk about this, when pastors go to the rec center, well, we get to bump into lots of people there. And uh, eventually we'll get to work out, right, Jeff? But, but we, we bump into lots of people there, and that's fine. You know, we, we enjoy getting to, getting to do that. And this past week, I, I met a, a young woman named Pam, and she was radiant, joyous. And, and, and as I began to talk to her, she, I found out why. Because, see, she, she at an early age had gotten involved with the wrong crowd. And she shared with me that she got addicted to drugs and, and even had been put in prison for a while. But then she found Jesus. And Jesus showed her the way out of that way, that way of life of addiction and abuse and drugs. Jesus, she said, showed her the truth about herself that she no longer needed to be ashamed, no longer needed to feel guilt, no longer needed to feel like she was unworthy. She was shown by Jesus that she was a beloved child of God. And she said, because of that, Jesus showed her life right here, right now, and gave her the promise of life eternal in the future. That's a powerful story. It's one that can be all of ours. So the question I leave you with is the one I started with. You know what direction you're going? Do you know the way? I pray that you do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you right now, grateful for showing us the way by sending Jesus, who has promised to be not just a guide, a roadmap, offering us words, but offering his very self to us so that we can walk along life's journey, confident that he is leading us to abundance here on this earth, even when life is hard, and to life eternal in your heavenly kingdom. May we, Father, every person within the sound of my voice truly know that they are following the way that leads to life. Guide us and direct us in everything we do. O Christ, our Savior, amen.